reminds us that all that matters in this life is that we know Christ and the mighty power of the resurrection at work in us. He says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Christ has risen. Now, I, I'm, uh, I'm still uh, kind of dressing here. <laughs> I'm almost done. <laughs> Good to have you here today, folks, uh, in the house of the Lord on this Easter Sunday. God bless you if you're visiting today because of baptisms. We just want to say thank you so much, so much for being here and celebrating with us. And so this morning, we are continuing in our series in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 11. If you have your Bibles, you can take them and turn there. And uh, we, are, uh, we are looking at one of the most famous passages of Scripture. Uh, but before we uh, go to that verse, um, I just want to uh, quickly tell you a little bit about the resurrection of Christ and the Christian life, in case you are wondering what we believe, in case you're wondering what Christianity is about. Some of you may or may not know it, but 50 days after Easter, 50 days after the resurrection of Christ, Christ sent the Holy Spirit who came to indwell every believer. And you can read about it in Acts chapter 2. And so here's what happened. It says in the place that they were gathered and, and praying at, uh, the Holy Spirit came. Now, I want you to see over this tabernacle, this is the old-fashioned tabernacle that the Jews used in the wilderness before they came to the promised land, you'll see what looks like a column of fire. And that represents what we call the Shekinah glory or the, or the, uh, the, the, the literal um, presence of Almighty God. And it, and it was in the temple. That's where God was. He was in the place called the Holy of Holies. Now watch what happens on the day of Pentecost. 50 days, Pentecost, 50 days, 50 days after the resurrection, the Holy Spirit comes and all the believers have what looks like tongues of fire over their heads. So the presence of Almighty God has moved from the temple, from the tabernacle, into every single person who's converted. Some would say hallelujah. Isn't that brilliant? That's thrilling. So these people who receive the Holy Spirit, these people are are the people that we call uh, Christians. They have been resurrected. Now, it says that after Peter preached his sermon on the day of Pentecost, that 3,000 people put their faith in Christ and were baptized. 
Now, I'm going to tell you, that has always been a mystery to me. How on earth did they baptize 3,000 people? We baptized three, and that took a fair amount of time. Well, they, they're baptizing 3,000 people. Well, where did they do it? I mean, there's not a river nearby. Uh, how did they do it? Well, here's how they did it. At, at the temple, they have what's called a mikvah, and it was a, a place where Jewish people would do their ceremonial cleansing, and uh, it's all part of the Jewish faith. Our, our baptismal tank looks very much like that. So uh, if you were sprinkled as a baby, I feel sorry for you. <laughs> because this is the way they did it. They went into the mikvah, they went down the stairs into the tank, and they were literally baptized. And there's a number of these mikvahs that, uh, that were at the, at the temple. And I, you know, it was thrilling for me, the last time we were in Israel, the last visit I was there, we saw these mikvahs and then the lights went on. Imagine taking it so long. I mean, I'm a slow learner, I guess, but uh, that's how they did it. That's how they got the 300 baptized, or 3,000 baptized. Now, um, baptism has always been understood as the initiation into, into Christianity. And every Christian would be baptized. It's, it's, what, it's what we teach. It's what the Lord commanded. In the early church, baptisms were, uh, were prepared for. In other words, whole families would come and be trained for, it could be up to one or two years of, of instruction in the Christian faith, what they believe. And after they'd gone through all that and they, and they knew in their hearts that they really believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, then they would be baptized. And I'm gonna tell you that uh, it, was no, it was no small thing. It was... It was uh, something of, of great, enormous significance because in the first 300 years, Christians were slaughtered. They were put to death because of their faith in Christ. Uh, up until the time that Constantine in 313 AD said, no more, no more persecuting the Christians. So here are these Christians being baptized, putting their faith in Christ and following him. Now, I need to tell you something about baptism. Baptism does not save you and get you into heaven. Does everybody understand that? We are saved by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. Remember we said Christus, or solus Christus, in Christ alone. Our faith in Christ, by, by God's grace, is what saves us. But after we're converted, after we're born again, after we put our faith in Christ, then we follow through in obedience in the act of baptism. And I want you to know that baptism is the public evidence of your faith in Christ and what he did on the cross for you and for me. And if you're a Christian today, I want you to say he did it for me. It for me. Hallelujah. So I want to remind everybody, you, you know that I always go to Genesis chapter 2 and 3. It's a, it's a, you keep going back there to interpret and understand all of life. And so God says to Adam and Eve, if you disobey, if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. God pronounced a death penalty upon the people if they disobeyed. Well, uh, up, up until that moment, they hadn't disobeyed. They'd done exactly as they were told. But then suddenly, suddenly they decided that they were going to disobey and that they were going to put their faith in themselves and do what they wanted to do. Folks, that's the definition of sin. Did you get that? The definition of sin is I am now going to put my faith in myself and I'm going to do what I want to do. That is, that's your problem. <laughs> the, the person beside you, that's his problem. That's her problem. That's our problem. 
But when you become a Christian, now you're putting your faith in God, and now you are believing him and doing what he says. That's all God wanted Adam and Eve to do, to believe him and do what he says. That's what faith is. Very important definition. If you, haven't, if you don't know that, write it down somewhere. So, baptism is an expression of faith in Christ's death and in his resurrection. So here's what you need to know. Every single person in this room who is converted, and I mean really converted, born again, you are a resurrection. The minute that you put your faith in Christ, you were resurrected from the dead. You say, well, I, I, don't, I don't really realize that. Well, it's, it's a spiritual. Let, let, me, let me show you this. This will help you understand what baptism is. Baptism re- represents a spiritual reality now. We are justified and we're being sanctified. These are theological terms. What does it mean to be justified? It simply means to be made right with God as though you'd never sinned. Really, it's Jesus' work on the cross. He justified us. He made us right with God, as though we'd never eaten the fruit. Isn't that beautiful? So we'd never sin. And then after Christ justifies us, then he sanctifies us. And this is, until you die, that's what God's gonna be doing in your life, in case you're wondering. Christ is doing a work in you right now. He is, by his spirit, he is sanctifying you. He's making you like Jesus. Did you know that? That's what's happening. You're being sanctified. Now you know two really big theological terms and you can show off to your friends. Justification and sanctification, I know what that means. But wait, there's more. So this, this spiritual reality now, it represents the new life that's ours. So when we baptized uh, Joseph and Matthew and, uh, and Pastor Andrew, what happens is they, came, they went down and came up and it represents their new life. It repre- represents the fact that they've been justified through Christ, who also died, was buried, and rose from the dead. Are you getting this? You getting the picture of of baptism? Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. But it also represents a future physical reality. So we have a spiritual reality now. So everybody here today who's been converted or born again, you are a resurrection. We've got a lot of little resurrections around here. But the beautiful thing is that there is more. It's a future physical reality. When, when you die, here's what happens. When you, if you're a Christian and you die in Christ, someday you will be glorified. It's called the, the glorification stage. So you're justified, you're sanctified, and then you're glorified. Aren't these great theological terms? Are you gonna remember these? What happens is you are literally given a, a body like Christ's. Now, in case you're wondering what Christ's body was like, I would invite you to go and read the narratives in the Gospels of Christ's post-resurrection appearances, and you'll get an idea of what kind of a body you're gonna have. It's gonna be cool, and I thank God it's not gonna look like this. (laughs) But the the beautiful thing then is that now you have eternal life. So this 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 is what we're talking about here in this baptism. Now, I'm just so thankful to God that we could do this on Easter Sunday. And uh, we were getting texts in the middle of the night from Delson in Burundi, and he's sent me pictures of the 20 people he got baptized at his church, and so <laughs> at Moravia. So, so anyways, Nadine sent me a text. He said, well, we, uh, we, uh, we, had, we baptized all these people in church. I said, oh, and we're baptizing five in our church today. He goes, she says, oh, yeah, well, we're doing 20. 
smart Alex. <laughs> I want to just quickly talk to you for a moment about the importance of resurrection. Here's what the Apostle Paul says in Second uh, or First Corinthians five, verses fourteen and fifteen. He says, "And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless." And we apostles would be lying about God. We have said that God raised Christ from the grave, but that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. Are you getting this, the significance of this? Listen, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you came to church for nothing today. You should have stayed home and looked for Easter eggs. <laughs> if Christ did not rise from the dead, then, then it's all bogus. It's all, it's all fake religion. It's all empty religion. It's all meaningless. You getting this? So Paul is very clear. Look at the resurrection is the linchpin of Christianity. You pull that pin out, you don't have any Christianity. You got nothing. You got absolutely nothing. So it's very important to understand that. And then here's what he says in verse uh, verses 16 and 17. He says, and there, and if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. By the way, you should write that. You need to circle that in your Bible or underline it or something. You need to mark that. And then Paul says, furthermore, in verse 18, in that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Now, these are very, very powerful, powerful statements. Paul is saying that Christianity is... is is bogus, and more than that, you have no hope of eternal life. You have no hope of, of seeing your, your loved ones who've gone to be with Christ. It means that you are in the same position full of guilt, full of sin, and full of shame. But thanks be to God, he raised Jesus from the dead, and we have this glorious hope. Now, you see, Pastor Allen, I thought we were studying in, studying in Philippians today. Well, we are. And so here we are. I want to show with you now one of the greatest passages in the Scripture, one of the greatest passages in the whole Bible. I memorized it when I was a young Christian. I would, I would counsel you to do the same. Uh, one, one man, he actually memorized it in the Greek. He was so thrilled by the passage. And... Um, and and if you haven't marked it in your Bible, please mark it and, and memorize it. So here's what he says next in verses uh, 10 to 11. He says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Would you say this is what you want? Paul's saying this is the only thing that matters to him now. It's, it's all that matters. Nothing else matters. Now, why does Paul say this? Why is, Paul, why, why is Paul saying, the only thing I want now is to know Christ? Well, I'll tell you, if you were here last week, and if you haven't heard the message from last week, I'd counsel you to go back and listen to it. But in verses five to six, Paul says, if anybody, if anybody in Israel, if anybody in the world has reason to rejoice in his own achievements, Paul says, it's me. I am the most perfect Jew that you're ever going to find. Oh, those are big words, eh? That's what he says in verses 5 and 6. 
He says, uh, I've got seven great attributes. And you know, seven is the, is the number of perfection. So what's he saying? He says, I'm, I'm the perfect Jew. Imagine going around saying stuff like that. I'm the, I'm the perfect Jew. And he says, he says, I was circumcised when, on the eighth day. So he's, I call him the eighth dayer. In other words, he's not a, he's not a proselyte. He didn't, he didn't convert to Judaism as an adult. He was born into it. And he furthermore says, uh, I am pure-blooded citizen of Israel. I don't have one, a mother or a father who's a Gentile. He says, I'm a, I'm a member of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a real Hebrew. If there ever was a real Hebrew, I, I speak Hebrew. I speak Aramaic. I pray in Hebrew. I can pray in Aramaic. I can read the scriptures in Hebrew and Aramaic. He says, I'm as good as you get. He says, but wait, there's more. Listen to my achievements. He says, I was a Pharisee. The Pharisees numbered about 6,000, 6,000 in all of Israel. These, these were the, the elite Jews. These were the people that, that knew how to keep the law and knew how, if they did sin, they knew how to find purification. They knew how to do the sacrifices for sin. And then he says, I was so zealous for, for the faith, for Judaism. He says, I persecuted the church. He, he watched men die because of their faith in Christ. He says, really, it doesn't get much better than that, except that number seven, he says, as for righteousness, I obeyed all 613 laws in the Old Testament. It doesn't get better than that. That's why he says this, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. We read then in verse, verse seven, he says, I once thought that these things were valuable being a Hebrew of Hebrews, being circumcised, being a Pharisee, being zealous, being righteous. I thought these things were valuable. But now, I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as what? Garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Now, Paul is telling the Philippians that he has a brand new love. Whereas before, he loved himself. He loved who he was. He loved his achievements. He was so proud of himself. But he says, no, I count it all as worthless. It'd be like you going to university, getting your PhD, and then finding out that the PhD you got was absolutely useless. You spent... Spent 10 years of your life studying and working hard to get your degree, and now it's all worthless. That's what Paul's saying here. It's all worthless. Before he loved himself and his great achievements, now he loves Christ, and he loves Christ's achievements. This is what it means to be a Christian. You no longer love yourself or your own achievements. Now you love Christ and what he has done for you on the cross. He, uh, he considers his Jewish perfection is absolutely worthless. That's something I'll say. Eh? How many people do you know that are not converted, not Christians, who like to say about themselves, I'm a good person? In fact, I'm one of the, the best, best persons around. i really rather really quite proud of myself. I, I've never committed any big sins. Oh, little ones and maybe a white lie here and there, but that's not a big deal, Right? wrong. 
Because Jesus, when he gives a Sermon on the Mount, he gives us a new standard. Not only does Jesus say you have to keep all the laws, but he says, and you also have to keep them in your head. I mean, you can't, you can't look at a woman with lust or a man with lust. You can't hate your brother. You can't call your neighbor or your friend a fool. You're, you're in, in danger of hellfire. That's the standard, folks. And Paul has learned that. His standard of keeping 613 laws, he finally realizes that it's rubbish. Wow. Well, I want you to know that that Greek, the word that's translated here is garbage. Skivala is a Greek word. It, it's translated in all the modern translations as either garbage or trash or rubbish. But if you have a King James Bible, you'll notice that it's translated as dung. Now, some of the young generation don't know what dung is. <laughs> dung is human excrement. I, hey, listen, Paul is a brilliant Christian, but, but I never said that he was uh, totally refined in all ways. <laughs> He's no Englishman. <laughs> Human, it's, he considers it as human dung. Not only is it worthless, Paul's saying, this is why garbage is not the greatest word. Dung would be a better word. Or the word C-R-A-P. You know that word. It's, it, it's, it's very, he's being very crude. He's being, he's being shocking. He's shocking us. He's saying, my righteousness, it's, it's, it's his dung. It's not only worthless, folks, but it is, in fact, repulsive. Paul's not the first one to say things like this. The prophet Isaiah says exactly the same thing. And he even gets, well, he's just as crude, actually, prophet Isaiah. You didn't know that the prophets and the writers of the scripture could be crude at times. But they're trying to get the point across. So Isaiah, in Isaiah 64, 6, he says, we are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they're nothing but filthy rags. I like the way the English translators translate it. They make it polite. But in fact, the Hebrew actually says, your righteousness is nothing more than filthy menstrual rags. You didn't expect to come to church and hear such filth, did you? <laughs> but this is what it says. That is what it says in Hebrew. Are you getting the point, my friends? Your righteousness to God doesn't mean anything. Even your best righteousness, according to Scripture, is pathetic, absolutely pathetic. And Paul has finally come to understand that no matter how good he is, it's not good enough to please a pure and holy God. Wow. And so let me just highlight a few other words. He says, I thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as dung, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Paul says that all that really matters now in his life, he could care less about the fact that he was an eighth dayer, could care less that he's a Hebrew of Hebrews, he could care less that, 
that he was his righteousness that fulfilled all the law. He doesn't care about any of that stuff. He says the only thing that matters now is Christ alone and what Christ has done on the cross. What Christ has done. What did he do? What did he do? He went to the cross and he paid the death sentence that God pronounced in the Garden of Eden. Don't ever think that the scripture is just a collection of of strange and weird books. Folks, there is a theme that goes from Genesis right through to the end to Revelation. Does everybody get that? And the theme is the redemption of humanity, of Christ coming to this world to redeem us. And can I remind you of something? That the early Christians didn't have a New Testament. All they had was an Old Testament. And the Old Testament was sufficient to lead people to Christ. When you read your Old Testament, some people say, well, I can't read the Old Testament. It's too difficult. Listen, you need to now put in the Christ filter. You know what the filter is? See it through everything through the filter. Look for Jesus. He's throughout the Old Testament. Everywhere you look, he's in the Old Testament. It was enough. The Old Testament was enough to lead somebody to Christ. And so Paul says, all that matters to me now is what Christ has done. All that matters to me now is that Christ Jesus is my Lord. That is, I do what he says. Hey, you notice how nothing really changes? In, the, in, in Genesis chapter 2, God says, just do what I say. And we get to the New Testament, and Paul finally realizes, hey, all that matters is that I, I do what Jesus does and do what Jesus said, I, that I got to know him. And what's more, he says, all that matters is gaining Christ, having Christ, embracing Christ, loving Christ, making Christ my own. Why? so that I would be one with him. What does that mean? It means to be born again. Now, some of you have grown up in a church your whole life, and you just assume that you're a Christian because you went to church your whole life. And, and, and listen, coming to church your whole life doesn't make you a Christian any more than, than living in the garage makes you a car. Right? No, you need to be converted. You need to be born again. And this is why we have to understand what Paul's saying here. The only thing that matters is gaining Christ. You can gain the whole world, God reminds us, but we can lose our soul. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? This is the only thing that matters. Let me ask you the question this morning. Is this all that matters to you? What matters to you? If you're converted, if you put your faith in Christ, all that matters is Christ. That's all you want. Last week we learned that we don't put our confidence in, in, in the flesh. We don't, in, we don't put our confidence in human effort. We put our confidence in Christ alone. That's all that matters. So, Paul says, I no longer count on my own righteousness. This is very, very important, because if you don't get this, then you don't understand Christianity. This is a, really a critical verse. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous, how? Through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on what? On faith. But surely that includes a little bit of doing penance once in a while, right, Pastor? Surely that means that if I support a child, that that will get me favor with God. Surely if I tie, that will get me favor. If I get involved in, if I teach Sundays, if I, if I, if I. No. 
I become righteous through faith in Christ, for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Now, to kind of remind everybody what faith is. Faith is believing God and doing what he says. What is the mark of an unbeliever? Believe myself, or believe what Satan says, or believe what the world says, and and do what I want. There you have it. You've just been given a beautiful little description of a difference between a believer and an unbeliever. A Christian believes God, and what did God say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. What do you have to do? Believe God. Put your faith in Christ. You believe him, you do what he says, and you have eternal life. This is Christianity, folks. You say, Pastor John, what if I'm not a good person? Well, welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. Glad you could make it. Hey, this is not a perfect church. I hate, look, if you're visiting here, I hate to break it to you. Emily, (laughs) Andrew's lady friend, good enough to come to church this morning. Finally, we got her to church. This is not a perfect church, starting with your boyfriend. (laughs) Oh, you know that, okay, yeah. Typical woman, isn't it? Just stab her in the back. None of us here, none of, and, and I, I would say probably I'm the chief of sinners around this place. Do you understand that about yourself? And I can say it with joy in my heart, because that's the old Alan. The old Alan is dead and buried. The old Alan doesn't exist anymore. The old Alan tries to get out of the grave, but my job is to keep on putting him back where he belongs. He's dead. I am alive in Christ. I am a new creation in Christ. This, my friends, is the Easter story. This, my friends, is the Easter celebration. Hallelujah. We are made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Just believe him and do whatever he says. Wow. See, Pastor John, you say this stuff a lot. Why do you say that? Because we forget it every day. We need to be reminded of this every single day. Some pastors say, well, we can't, we can't be talking about, about the gospel and the death of Christ every Sunday. And I say, it's the only message every Sunday. It's called preaching the gospel, preaching Christ. Christ is our only hope. You start following Christ, it's a game changer. Changes your life, changes your marriage, changes your family, changes your friendships, changes your, your, your employment situation. It changes everything when you start believing Jesus and doing what he says. So throughout the ages, people have tried to win favor with God by trying to obey laws and rules and by praying five times, kneeling down in a certain direction five times a day and praying, giving massive sac- making massive sacrifices, giving money, supporting children, doing penance, doing the Hail Marys, crossing yourself, walking on your knees up the stairs. Yeah, that's a thing. Yeah, there's a place in, at the Vatican where you can do that. My grandma said when she was a little girl, when she went to penance, the, the priest would say, well, you need to put a pebble in your shoe. Make yourself uncomfortable so you don't forget that you're a little sinner. What utter nonsense. Are you telling me that putting a pebble in my shoe is going to save me? 
This is spitting in the face of Christ. Christ's work at the cross is sufficient. It's all you and I need. No Hail Marys, no pebbles in your shoe, no beating yourself. This is what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Christ. So Paul's saying, finally, I get it. I finally understand it. I am made righteous through faith in Christ alone by believing God and doing what he says, not by believing myself or believing Satan or believing the world and doing what self, the world, and Satan say. I'm doing what Christ says. That's the evidence that you put your faith in Christ. So here's what I want to say to you today because we've got some sinners here today. And some of you are struggling even today. I want, you to say, I want to say this to you, and this might come as a shock to you. Relax. Hebrews says, calls it rest. The writer of Hebrews saying, rest now. You put your faith in Christ, rest. Because so many of us, in those times that we fail, we fall short, we feel like I've got to make it right. I've got to, I've got, if I do penance, if I, just, if I do something, if I give a big donation to the church, then maybe somehow my guilt will be assuaged. And the fact of the matter is, folks, there's only one person who can please the Father, and that's Christ. You put your faith in him, so relax. And if you sin, run to Jesus. Don't do what Adam and Eve did. What did Adam and Eve do? They went and hid. They ran and hid. Jesus is coming, hide. Don't let him see you. That's what we do, right? This is, this is very hard now, folks. It's very hard to get your mind around this because this is maybe not what you learned. This is not what you grew up with. But I'm telling, now, I'm telling you now, you, you sin, relax. Martin Luther said, sin boldly. What? What's he saying? He's not saying go and sin as much as you can. He's saying you can sin, but know that Jesus Christ is sufficient to cover your sin. His death on the cross is all that you need. You don't need to join him in dying on the cross. Christ has done it, so relax now and get your eyes on him and start following him. And here's what's going to happen, my friends, is that you're going to find yourself getting better and better every day. Did you know that? Just keep getting better and better. Yes, you're going to still, it's, it's, it's what we call indwelling sin, but you're going to get better. It's going to be okay. Relax. God's in control. You belong to him. You've been purchased by the blood of Christ. And all you have to do is accept it, believe it, and then let God conform you to it. So, so then, folks, we understand that we rely on Christ Jesus and what he's done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. That's what it says in Philippians 3.3. 3. So it's a new way of living. It's a brand new way of living. You know, Paul says, let me just go to my next verse. He says, he says I want to know Christ. Can I just say something really quick? How many know our world is nuts right now? And, and a lot of it is because the church has stopped preaching Christ. They stopped preaching the gospel. They stopped preaching that all we need is Christ. They start preaching all kinds of bizarre stuff, like God wants you to be rich. I mean, if he's willing, <laughs> I'll take it. But that's not what the Bible says. What does he want for you? What is the thing he wants for you? He wants, God wants to conform you to the image of his son Jesus. That's what he wants for you. You don't need a come to church for a psychology lesson. You can't need to come to know how you can have life and eternal life, and it's only through faith in Christ. So Paul says, that's what I want. Our world is nuts. I watched yesterday a, a, 
Well, first of all, I don't know if anybody updated their Apple phones. If you haven't got an Apple phone, I don't know what you have on your phone. But on my Apple phone, I have an emoji that has a pregnant man. Yeah, go look for it. Not now, please. Don't do it later. That's got a pregnant man. Because this is, this is the, the new normal, the new reality. And I, I, I saw on the news a young man with a full-grown beard. I mean, one of the hairiest guys I ever saw. He's got long, dangling silver earrings that a woman would wear to a ball. And he says, I, I just want to share something very exciting today. Today I'm celebrating my very first period. Another woman said, I worship Satan. I don't believe in God, I don't believe in Satan, but I believe I am Satan, so therefore I worship myself. One person said, I have all kinds of pronouns. Some days I, f- I use this pronoun, some days I use that pronoun, and, and, and I don't know if you know it, but there's some over 70 different pronouns that people now use, and we have to say the world's nuts. And then we hear Paul saying, I just want to know Christ. You know, uh, there's a great theologian, Gordon H. Clark, who said, he translated John 1-1 like this. He said, in the beginning was logic, and logic was with God, and logic was God. You can use that interpretation if you want. Word is probably better, but certainly you could say logic is implied. Hey, listen, I'm going to tell you something right now. It's faith in Christ that brings order out of confusion. It's faith in Jesus Christ that brings direction. It helps us understand how I can find peace. It's through the logic of Christ. I'm going to tell you, folks, that the Easter story is the most logical thing you're ever going to find. We are sinners. We all know that. How do we get rid of our sin? There's only one way, through Christ. We can't do it ourselves because we're not perfect. Totally logical. How do, I have, how do I find eternal life? In Christ. How do I go to heaven? In Christ. How can I find happiness? In Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 14, or 4, verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Paul says, I want to know Christ. It's the way. It's the truth. It's the life. And he says, and thereby somehow come to the place where I will be resurrected from the dead. Folks, I'm going to tell you today, I'm looking forward to Resurrection Day. And I will be given a glorified body. Remember that theological term? Justification, sanctification, glorification. Someday I'm going to be resurrected with Christ. You say, Pastor Ellen, what does it mean here that, that I, want to, I want to share with Christ in his suffering? Well, folks, you're, you've come up against or up, up to a, a doctrine of the church called the doctrine of the union with Christ. Ephesians 2.13 best describes it. He says, but now you've been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. What happens? Christ suffered, and once you were born again, you've suffered with him. Christ was buried, and you were buried with him in the act of baptism. And Christ was resurrected, so you too are resurrected with Christ. And folks, this is what the resurrection life is. And this is all Paul wanted. He just wanted to know Christ and know the power of the resurrection that would make it possible for him one day to be with Christ forever.
It was his only goal. His only goal in life, his only dream, his only vision, his only desire, his only longing was Christ Jesus. Would you stand with me, please? Father, we want to say thank you today for this glorious, glorious Easter Sunday morning. We want to say thank you, O God, that we have a a risen Savior. And because Christ has arisen from the dead, we too will enjoy that resurrection because we put our faith in Christ alone. Father, we pray that as we go from here today, may we go with rejoicing that our sins are forgiven. And even though we fall short, God still loves us. God is still in the business of forgiving us our sin. And God calls us to continue to follow Christ, to be conformed to the image of Christ. God, we are going to do some suffering. We are going to suffer in this life. It's all part of our sanctifying, the sanctifying work of your spirit. You do allow it, oh God, because you love us and you're trying to shape us and make us like Jesus. So God, we say today together as a church family, Jesus, make me like Christ. Say it with me. Jesus, make me like Christ. And we all said it together. Amen. 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 Tell the person beside you, Christ is risen.